the language of the universe. But I don't understand it. Everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Math and Physics Podcast. I'm your host, Parker. And I'm Ray. And we welcome you back to episode number 91, where today, once again, we have special guest Dr. Zach Wolski, a postdoctoral fellow here at the University of Toronto. So, Zach, you want to say hi to our audience once again? Yeah. Hi, everybody. Uh, thanks for having me back. Of course, yeah, wonderful no to have you here. I mean, I think it was a great reaction, that episode, from our audience, because I think they also saw that we were, that that was the one episode where we just, we actually learned things on the episode, and we were, like, figuring things out on the episode. Oh, I'm and sure you've learned pretty... things on the other episode. No, no. No, for sure. Of course, of course. What I mean is, like, we were figuring things out, like, hands-on. Yeah. And it was very nice having kind of like a, almost a one-on-one professor was, experience. Yeah, it was much more interactive. Yeah, the so. first time, I think it was because of, I think it was only because it was in person. Yeah, it was our first in-person I one. think that's why, because yeah. it was our first in-person uh, guest episode. It was just so much more interactive. Hopefully, we can have future ones. But as you all may know, due to the new variant of this current pandemic, we have gone back to a little bit online. So we have... Zach here on Zoom with us once again. You get to so, see me with glasses on? Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. for the first time. For the first time. So very excited. Uh-huh. Quickly, okay, before quick we news, get into news. the episode, um, we are now at almost 350,000 downloads. Thank you wow. to everybody who's wow. been listening to the podcast. We are just, a, well, this week, actually, we hit 20,000 followers on Spotify. Oh, that Thank was a you, big everybody. moment. Yeah, we put, it, we, we put it all over our social. Yeah. So everyone, everyone is very excited. If you want to keep up with all of the updates, make sure to go to our Instagram at math.physics.podcast. Yeah. And finally, for the comment of the week, it goes to Upendra. They say, hey, love from India. Been listening to you guys from the start. Oh. Love how y- y'all have grown. The way you guys discuss topics makes me feel like I'm sitting with friends. Super fun to listen to. Uh, do continue making great content. Oh. Thank you so much wow. for that comment. What and comment. Uh, if you want to be next week's comment of the week, go to this YouTube video and comment underneath it. And you Super might get simple. picked. So yeah, wherever you're listening to it, just uh, hop on YouTube. Check it out. Check out our faces. And if not, just give that uh, audio a follow. Yeah. Yeah, let's, uh, let's get into it. So today's um, main topic, or I think we're just freestyling it here this time, but is going to be a little, a, a, a little more, a little more in depth. Because last time, while we were kind of talking about a little bit about you, a little bit about how you got into the field of math, today we can just you know go all into your field itself. Just mm-hmm. go all into what makes math wonderful, and why do you like to count numbers? Sure. Way to put it. <laughs> so. This topic is combinatorics, right? Which is like a fancy math way of saying counting stuff. Um, and I love it. It's, it's one of my favorites. It's not really my research area, but it comes up in all kinds of research in any field of math. We always want to know, can we turn it into something finite and then just count? And that will tell us something. Hmm. It's also maybe like guess... the oldest math. And like people have been counting for a long time, um, 
and every society that we know of counts stuff. Mm -hmm. I guess also with the idea of uh, the limit, we also have a lot of advantages to finite counting nowadays, right? Because like if we can represent anything infinite with a, with a finite variable, oh, it goes to n, and then just represent the same system in a finite way, you know, with our understanding of like infinities and limits, we can apply our finite counting ideas to infinite counting ideas. But almost. how would the system be infinite in the first place if you can make it finite? No, no, I'm saying instead, if let's say it goes off to infinity, I'm saying take the same thing to n, make mm. the system for n, okay, yeah, and then take n to infinity, you know? So, like, that's another advantage of having the fact that, hey, these all, like, the fact that we can count these numbers, like, you can kind of switch between finite and infinite pretty easily. Was that kind of what you were going on, or was there something else that you were talking about where you were talking about the switch between? I mean, I guess two? I never really think about infinite things. Um, so, I, okay, so I shouldn't say that. Um, <laughs> in combinatorics, we don't really think about infinite things. We would say there's just some finite number of things that can happen and maybe we can count them all. And a lot of computations are done like this, right? If you ask Wolfram Alpha, give me a limit as something goes to infinity, it doesn't actually do that. It comes mm. up with some finite way of approximating it and then it tells you that number. So like if you integrate like a, a Riemann integral, something between zero and one, and we want to know all the values of the function, we don't actually do an infinite thing. We just make n big. And we say, mm -hmm. if it's big enough, it's pretty close. And then we tell the approximation. But what about this? Can you, like, when in, like, upper-level combinatorics, do you ever look at problems that become continuous and ask about, like, how many ways can this like continuous thing happen? Like for example, if you're throwing darts at a dartboard, you can say like how many possible like things can I hit even though that it's not discrete? Absolutely. Um, we have ways to sort of model probability based on a uniform distribution, uniform with respect to area. So we would say if we have a certain area that we might hit and we section it off into equally sized wedges, we should be equally likely to hit each of those wedges. Or if there's a very small bullseye, the probability of landing there should relate to the area of the bullseye compared to the total area. Right. Um, but you can't but really say the, anything about an, an individual shot. Well, I would say like even in the case where we're pretending that um, there's an infinite number of possible points that we could hit. There aren't. Like, the physical reality of atoms is that there's some finite number of things right. that are in there. That is right. And also, like, the, also, like, if we're getting that specific, then, like, even the, the, the tip would take up, like, quite a few hundred atoms, <laughs> if not a quite a few hundred thousand right, atoms. okay. So then, like, you know, we would be subtracting it from there. So, so I like guess you're would... counting, like, the area of the tip of the dart in terms of, like, square atoms. <laughs> <laughs> square <laughs> atoms. I guess, I guess that would be one uh, metric to use, yeah. right, for probability. Because, I mean, I guess, yeah, so if you're trying to model something like that into a probabilistic nature, like, I guess... 
I guess everything at the end of the day can be seen as some sort of because yeah, because I guess at the end of the day, if you just take this the full area, like like let's say the area of the circle is like five square centimeters. Wait, what? Like the prop? Yeah, 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 yeah. The probability of like hitting one specific area would be like I mean, if it's all uniform, if we're assuming it's all uniform, obviously in a dartboard it's not. I'm assuming one or some are harder than others, but I'm saying like assuming a uniform distribution here, it would just be one over five in this case, right? So well, if we have a little bullseye that has area one and the total yeah, yeah. area is five, then yeah, yeah absolutely. It yeah. should be like one over yeah, five. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So, I mean, it would be a pretty straightforward just the area calculation, yeah. <laughs> I guess. So, um, combinatorics lets us do all kinds of different counting-related things. Um, and in in like life you might see it in terms of games things like playing cards if you look at a deck of cards what's the probability that certain things will be dealt um, and the way to deal with that is usually count up what's the total number of ways it can happen and what's the total options available and then divide those things so it's a really nice way to turn some kind of more abstract probability idea into something very concrete and something that like we can get a computer to count how many ways are there to do this. Is that not even how a computer computes a lot of these things just by sheer counting the number of processes taken or counting the number of ways? Because I think sometimes, especially for a computer to do certain algorithms, it's just easier. Just count it. Absolutely. You know, especially because it can. And we might say that like, this is like a brute force method. We mm. just count them all up. Um, and if you ask a computer to integrate some function on some um, interval, it will break it up into some number of pieces and then add up all the values and then tell you that number. And generally, if the oh. number of pieces is big enough, that number is close to what you would get sort of algebraically through your rules of integration. Hmm. So. Oh, is that, is that really? I didn't know computers I, did yeah, that I'm numerically. Actually, I thought computers did it just like, cause it knows how to integrate. <laughs> it does I not know how to really. integrate. Okay. Depending on what, depending to... on how it's implemented, it might say, mm -hmm. okay, if you get this polynomial, do this rule. If you get, um, a trig function do this rule. But if you mm -hmm. plug in some kind of combination of polynomial, trig, exponential things that's kind of weird, it numerically evaluates. Mm. Wow, that's pretty powerful. I mean, I guess it's a computer. But yeah, it can do that. <laughs> it can. So but a problem that powerful. we come up with when we're trying to get this done by like brute force methods is that the number of things that we might need to count grows way too fast. That if we mm -hmm. say, computer, please count everything, it can come back and say, this will take a billion years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and say, oh, I needed Run it like error. now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then a lot of our work in combinatorics is to reduce the number of cases that we need to check or somehow do like a clever counting so that we don't need to brute force do everything, that we can get all possible cases without spending a billion years enumerating all of them. Mm. 
So what would be like an example of one of these things that just can't be computed? Oh, or, well, can but just takes a really well, long time. Something as easy as fifty-two factorial. Absolutely. Don't you know about that whole thing? Oh, you can't do that. No, oh. you cannot <laughs> computing. So, like the the whole thing is like because fifty-two is like the number of cards in a deck, so it's like a famous number. So the whole thing is wait. So fifty-two whole... factorial represents. Can you tell me? Or what do, what do you mean by 52 factorial? Yeah, so it's the amount of ways you can oh, permute, it's right? the Yeah, so it's, it's the amount of, it's the amount of different ways that each that, that, that you can get of each card, basically, um, from a freshly shuffled or so from a So I have like a full or, or deck of cards. Deck. I can move yeah. them around in 52 factorial ways. Mm-hmm. So that after shuffling, nice, there is nice some order to the cards. And you're saying there's 52 factorial different ways that that can happen and this 52 factorial is like 52 times 51 times 50 mm-hmm. all the way down to times two times one i mean just like simply just like with permutations like if you just think of each card as a separate as a separate i wouldn't say event but like as a separate card in this case because they are independent in this case like y- you would have this card having a one over 52 chance of being this and then the next card can't be this one anymore. So it has a 1 over 51 chance of being this. And then the next one is 1 over 50, 1 over 49. So then you just keep multiplying. So the idea is the probability that you get this one card out of your 52. Or this one ordering. Is, is this one order out of your 52 right. is 1 over 52 factorial, which is the idea. So how big it. is this number 52 factorial? Because it's it seems pretty like... big. <laughs> I watched a crazy video on it. Like, there's a really cool video on the immense idea of 52 factorial. Do you want to link to it just in your description? So, like, we, I, I don't yeah. even think we, we we mentioned it last time, but we didn't put a link last time. We forgot again. Oh. We mentioned something. We forgot to put a link. Yeah, we we'll, always forget. We'll, we'll put Please a link. remind us. We'll put <laughs> remind a link. us if we forget, but we will do it. There's a really cool, very popular video on the nature of 52 factorial and how big this number really is. And he basically kind of like also like talks about how human brains just can't number one comprehend these large scale numbers really like, you know, uh, like a million seconds versus a billion seconds, you know, that Mm -hmm. common thing. Right. And that's why you may have also heard somewhere that you that these this pair of cards that you see in your hand is possibly the only pair of cards that's ever been dealt a pair or like, like you, you, two? but you know that idea right like th- like this this order of cards in your hand is like possibly one like of the, the whole only orders though, right? that is ever existed yeah. because of the sheer number of 52 factorial so like let's pick a game where you deal out all the cards um mm-hmm. like if you're old then like bridge or if you're young then any of the games where you deal all the cards and you're trying to get rid of all the <laughs> like cards president in your hand. Or something? President, I guess. I president. Okay, yeah. I was trying to think. Let's, what's a nice way to say the name of this game president. that I know of differently? Um, president is a very. So any game yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. there's 52 factorial ways to give all the cards out in some order. But right. mm-hmm. exactly. if you get 13 cards in your hand, you don't care what order they came in. So it's right. only a combination, of course. It's not a permutation in this case. Aha! Uh-huh. So there's fewer yes. ways to deal them all out. Of course, it's like it's like it's like the same example about about um, five people come in a club. They give all their jackets to the bouncer. When they come out, what's the probability that each of them got a jacket? Second question: What's the probability that each of them got their own jacket? 
So what's the probability that each of them got a jacket? Well, five choose five. That's one because everyone obviously got a jacket because five people came in, five people came Wait, out. Wait, five choose five? Yeah, right. Because they're, right, they're five people. Right, that's one. But in this case, if you are saying what's the probability that each of them got their own jacket, then you're asking about a permutation. So you're asking five permute five, which is now 120, which is one over 120 chance that each of them got their own jacket. Right. So, mm. like, I, I like, that was a that, lot. That's, all that's at once. Some... Can I ask? Some sorry, questions? I mean, <laughs> sorry. That's like a famous. Uh, I don't know if it's very famous. famous. I guess it's famous maybe. in my probability yeah, class. I've never it's heard of that. In my probability class. It's like a. It's like an. Uh, like an idea. So you have to a situation. Five people. Permutations. Five people have like put something somewhere, and then they come and pick mm -hmm. up a random one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Basically. And everybody gets one jacket back. But you want to know what's the probability that they each got their own jacket? Exactly. Okay. And you're saying this is a one out of 120? Because it would be, in this case, it would be five factorial, right? Because it would be a permutation in this case. Because each of their jackets, because the, 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 cause, uh, the, the question, sorry, wasn't what's the probability that one of you will get your own jacket? I don't know if I ordered that correctly. The prob the no, question you said was, everyone. What's the probability that each, yeah, exactly, everyone will get their own jacket? So in that case, what's the probability that this guy gets his jacket? One over five. What's the probability that this guy gets his jacket and this guy gets his jacket? One over five times one over four because there are only four jackets left. And then times one over three times one over two times. So that's one over 120. Okay. Interesting. What do you think right. about the one where, what's the probability that you mentioned um, where someone gets their own jacket, but maybe not everybody? Yeah, so in, in that case, that's a simple combination, right? Because in, in that case, you're just saying, okay, everyone, there are five people and there are five jackets. Wait, no, this is more complicated because like, what's the probability that at least one person gets their own jacket? That's not what the question was, but you can make it more complicated with that, sure. What was the question then? So the, 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 first, the, the first idea is basically what's the probability that each of them get a jacket? Because in a case where, let's say, four people come in with five jackets, there's actually a probability that not all of them do, right? Because like then five choose four because there are only four people. Or sorry, four people come in with – five people come in with four jackets. Sorry, is what I meant. Five people okay. come in with four jackets. Somebody's going to be Not cold. everyone will have a jacket, okay. right? Exactly. But in this case, because five people are coming in with five, the question is, well, what's the probability that each of them will get a jacket? Well, it's one because they each, because there are only five people to give out five jackets to. But mm -hmm. in a case where each of them will get their own, that's when you add that thing. But obviously, if you want to make it a little more complicated, you can then say, now, now you're asking, what's the probability that at least one of them got their jacket? Yeah. Right? What's, what's the probability... probability? I have no idea. That, well, no, we can think. What's the probability that at least one got his jacket? What that means is, what's the probability that one minus no one got their jacket? Is basically what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So, what's the probability that no one gets their jacket? That's still kind of hard to. What's the probability? Because there are a lot of options, right? That no one gets their jacket. So, in this case. Each individual, again, you can just count because these are all just counting things. Like, there are only five people here. Mm -hmm. So, in this case, what's the probability that none of them get their own jackets? So, person A, one of his jackets. Oh, then there's a the, one out of 
Would it just be one minus? Oh, there's a three out of five or four out of five. Oh, it chance. would just be one minus, right? Because four out of five that he won't get his jacket. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. You're right. No, exactly. Exactly. You're right. So it's a four out of five that he won't get his jacket, right? And then for the other dude, it would be a one over four that he would. So it would be a three out. So it would be a three out of four, and well, it would just keep. It would just. So it would be. So oh, so it would be four factorial over five factorial. So it would be one over five. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> if the first person picks the second person's jacket, oh, then that that blocks off the whole. It rest, changes. Right? Yeah. The likelihood it, that the second person can get their own jacket, yeah. right? Yeah, because if I pick if I pick your jacket, then the probability that you get your jacket is zero. And if you pick the next person's jacket, then the next person has a probability of zero of picking their their own jacket. So it changes. <laughs> this is kind of complicated. <laughs> it is complicated. Yeah. Um, this is in a topic that we would call a derangement. So I was just showing, like, if I picked five different numbered cards, and then I like shuffle them around. I'm asking, what's the probability? The shuffling is like that people are going to randomly pick a jacket. What's the probability mm. that the first one is not a one? Okay, so right away, the first person got their own jacket. Um, and the probability that the first one is not a one, and the second one is not a two, and the third one is not a three, and the fourth one is not a four, and the fifth one is not a five. All together. So mm. we could write down all 120 ways that there are to arrange five things and then just cancel the ones that have like a one in position one and a two in mm. position two. No, but would it not be one over five at the end of it though? No, it's more complicated. Would no, it? Because we're... So it might, like a lot of things in combinatorics do end up with, it seems very complicated, but then somehow everything cancels out and there is just the probability that you might expect. Oh. Like uh, I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure my thinking was correct, cause like, well, you weren't considering one thing. Well, no, we can I know. Try, I let's try with smaller numbers, that, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> let's. Yeah, I know. That's always easier. Like, what if there were two people? What's the probability that at least one of them gets his jacket in this case? So, what's the probability? Oh that well, none this of them is just a. This is just one out of two, right? Because there's a fifty percent chance that. You either, yeah. they, you both get your jacket yeah. and fifty percent chance that you don't. Yeah. Okay. So. Exactly. Exactly. What if there were three people? Yeah, and three people. Oh, and now it's like it's like there's it's a two third percent. It's a two third that you. No, it's more than that because one possibility is that all three of you get your jacket. Yeah. And then there are three possibilities that, like, first person gets his jacket, other two don't. Multiply that by two because oh no wait don't no, multiply that by two because right now. you're just doing a manual permutation is what you're doing in your head you're just doing a three, I know but I think three I th times two times one I think they, I think it's because um, there's six total ways for them to get their jackets right there's six total ways for them to get their <laughs> I want to hear what you have to say okay, yeah, just <laughs> no I mean I'm like I like this there's six total ways so let's <laughs> yeah okay you know you can check them all so, right so yeah exactly that's what what I was saying is that there's one possible way where all three get their jackets and then if all three like now the other only the only other case other than all three not getting their jackets is one gets their jacket because if one gets their jacket and this the other one doesn't then that automatically means that we're not in the first default case where all of them do get their jackets so you're saying you can't have exactly two people get their jacket and the third yeah, exactly. one doesn't 
Exactly. That there's really, like, it seems like there should be four cases. Everybody yeah. gets it, all three, or two, yeah. or one, or zero. Yeah. But the case of exactly two doesn't happen. If, no way, sorry. If That's two not people what got was... their jacket, the third one also gets their jacket. Yeah, but what I was saying is that either all three get their jacket, or the first person gets their jacket, the second person gets their jacket, and the third person, like, those are three separate cases. So there's four cases out of six. Out of six total. Okay. Yeah. So you're saying the ones that we care about, everybody gets their jacket back, or one person does and two other people switched. Yeah. And there's three ways for that to happen. Yeah. You pick the one person who gets their own jacket, and then you switch the other two people. Yeah. So there's four options where somebody gets their jacket back out of six. Does that match with your no. one? Wait, of... are there are there six ways? There's one, two, yeah. three, four, five. There's five different ways. Oh, what do you mean? Three, five total. You have three then, people. Because what I'm thinking about is like either they all get their jackets. So you're thinking about don't. it manually, and the problem is you don't have a piece of paper in front of you. <laughs> okay, that's your problem. Oh no, I mean I think so, this is fine, but. No, in the like, case, no, no, okay, no, you're no, saying the thing is, especially with like three people, like I guess three is okay because there's only six, but like yeah. you get the four and it immediately shoots up, right? So it's going to yeah. continue to Wait, shoot up. Great, um, let's so analyze like just, this one yeah. of what are the five options? Everybody gets their jackets. The yeah. first person gets theirs and the other two don't. The second mm -hmm. and the other two don't. The third and the other two don't. Or no one does. Yeah. How many ways can that no one gets their own jacket happen? Just one way. No, why? why is that? Because no, because imagine none of them have their jackets. If any two people switch, then one of them is gonna at least get their jacket, right? Is that not true? That might be true, but why does that make it only one way? Because if you because if you switch anybody's, then it automatically becomes a case where one of them has their jacket. Sure. What if it's the middle? No, because then these guys would just switch and they would have each other's. What if one like if has one has two, two has yeah, three, and three has one. one. There would only be one. If way. you switch any two people, then there's then now we're no longer in the case where all three of them don't have their jackets. So if one has two, and two has yeah. three, and three has one, yeah, that's one way it can happen, right? Yeah. But what about this way? Oh, <laughs> wait, <laughs> that's true. That's true. You can just rotate all of them around by one. So there's only two ways then. So this question, Wait. these are what are called derangements. Some yeah. way of arranging the numbers from one up to something, up to n, where each position doesn't have its own number. So I would say there's exactly one derangement of two numbers. And then mm. there's two derangements of three numbers. I can either go two, mm. two, three, one, or right. I can go three one two right so what we want to know is how many derangements are there if you had five numbers how many ways are there to put five the numbers one two three four five in a row so that position one is not one position two is not two position three is not three and four is not four and five is not five would that be like n minus one would it be n minus one? 
So, so far we know, you... we know two examples, and so far it's always been n minus one. Oh wait! Oh no! If the if the number gets bigger, then it's no longer n minus one. No way! It can just be n because you you can you can have them like arranged in a circle, but and you can you can cycle n minus one times. But then at any one cycle, you can like switch two of them, and it would still be because we have more than three. Yeah, but in the five case too, like we can just do them individually, right? Like each, like the first one doesn't uh, like is not five is four over five. The second one is not two is this the third one is and then you can just multiply them through like that's how i got my original four over five factorial but like that didn't that seem like you said no so that's why i'm thinking still i don't think that works so it gets very because complicated just, right yeah. and this is what yeah. i love in combinatorics you can have some kind of easy question and it's also very easy to check small cases but as soon as n gets a little bit big we need to know what are actual patterns that are happening and I don't want to enumerate. I don't want to write down a list of all 120 ways to write, put five things in a row. And if there were like 10 people or 52, what, what happens in a deck of 52? What if I numbered all the cards from one to 52 and I said, let's play a game. I'm going to flip over a card and say the number one or two or three, whatever one I flipped. And I win if I flip over a number that I say. Ooh. Oh, and I lose if I if that never happens. What do you think my probability of winning is? Probably well, I mean, if, low. If, if, you say, if you say number, number, like just number. Yeah, just numbered. Like I'm gonna. Wait, no, it's high. Though. I'm gonna pretend no, that they're, they're all distinct. Because they're thirteen. So maybe what I'll oh, do like is I'll say oh, like, they're all distinct numbers, like one to fifty. I'll say each yeah. card oh, works. Okay, okay. Like okay, I'll okay, say okay, okay. ace of spades, two of spades, yeah, three yeah, of I spades, it, four it, of spades. And if I ever flip over the one that I say. Yeah, how high? Uh, pretty high because we were just, um, like it seems countable, like somewhat countable, to find the cases where you don't end up naming. But the question the was, he does. He I know does. he does, so that means your chances of winning are high, because the 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 odds that you don't do it are like you can just count them almost. You know, I'm not saying you you when you have 52 cards, you can just count them all. But I'm saying. It's, no, but I'm saying like he wins if he if guesses he the card that he gets up. No, he's not guessing. He's just naming numbers one to fifty-two, like in order. This is like and if, if the... people checked their coats. What's the probability somebody gets their coat back? At least one yeah. person. Oh. Okay. Or I lose so if like nobody gets their nobody. coat back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's that one minus nobody. So if nobody is really small, then one minus this will be really big, kind of thing. So in this case, if you get none of them right, you 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 were saying what? That it's really small. What, what were you saying? I'm saying that he has a high chance of winning the game. How high? I don't know how high though. Would you pick? Would you say like over ninety percent? Yes. Okay. Because like the I think the higher the number of coats or cards, then the higher chance you have of winning. Okay. So I have some interesting information for you. If uh, I go between like 52 and 100, yeah. my probability of winning is basically the same for both but of those it gets games. it gets a little bit higher though, no? Um, it alternates. Oh, what? <laughs> what it does a thing of going above and then going below and then going above and going below. Oh. So if I picked 50, so now I'm going to have to try to figure out which one is lower and which one is higher. I guess I can Wait. figure it out from the cases of 2 and 3. 
Um, is two, it just odd even? For two, I have 50% chance to win. For three, I have a 66% chance to win. Yeah. But then for four, it goes back down. So on oh. odd numbers, I have slightly more, and on even numbers, yeah. I have slightly less. But they both get very close to a certain probability. What is it? <laughs> well, I mean, this will be for you to investigate. Oh, man. Um, Imagine it was the golden ratio. These are called derangements. That would be So really you can cool, find man. them. And it is very cool what number you get out of it. Oh, man. And I think okay, cooler than the golden that. ratio. Oh, it's cooler than the golden ratio. I mean, I have an iPad in front of me. I can search this up. This sounds really cool. Um, these are the types of things that we would talk about in combinatorics and also the types of things that show up in terms of like your estimates of probability are not necessarily um, accurate, right? This is mm. how like gambling is a big industry. There are um, games of chance that we can set up where the initial guesses of what the likelihood of something happening is are not exactly what they are. Mm -hmm. um, right. One of the oldest games that we that we have that's been like analyzed probabilistically, and one of the foundational things that we have from um, like modern combinatorics is about throwing dice. So if you roll a six-sided die, you can play a game where someone says, okay, take four rolls. If you get a six, if you get at least one six, you win. If you get no sixes out of all four, you lose. What do you think the probability mm. is that you win this game? So if you get at least one six, you win. Mm -hmm. uh, and you have two die every time you throw? No, you get one. Oh, so one? you get one thing four oh. times. We're going to do two now. Um, two is the hard part. Okay. Okay. So you have a one out of six plus one out of six plus one out of six. Yeah. So you have a high chance of, of rolling a six. Now you're saying one out of six plus one out of six because you can get a six on the first roll or the second yeah. roll or the third roll. But yeah, so you have some of those of both happen. Oh, so you have even more chances. Uh, we have to wait. subtract the ones where they both happen. Imagine if wait, you rolled you... two dice. You can get yeah. a one out of six chance that it's a six on the first one, or one out of six that it's a six on the second one, but you've overcounted because there might be a six on both. But we're throwing the dice like one at a time, right? Mm -hmm. So... Wait, they're independent events, though. Why would we have to subtract a... Um... Well, what happens if we did it six times? Are you saying it's always going to happen? What if? What happens if you rolled it seven oh. times? <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. No, you're right, you're right. Um, you can't just add them together. Okay, so... Suppose somebody wanted to know more about combinatorics. Where might they go? Well, funny you might ask, but... You can actually head over to brilliant.org. They have um, puzzles of the day all the time where um, each day you get a different new like math puzzle slash logic, even combinatorics related. Um, and we even tried them out before 
uh, starting the podcast. And I might say they were very, very interesting. Rayhan and I both got caught by mm. the problems. They're all multiple choice. And, you know, sometimes it's not the most obvious choice. Um, if you want to learn more about combinatorics, make sure to check out the contest math courses where you can do a whole lot of problems on these counting problems. Yeah, and uh, interestingly enough, they also have a really cool course on derangements. <laughs> so <laughs> they actually talk about derangements on Brilliant. So if you found anything that we were just talking about really cool, I mean, go check it out because that's actually what I was just now reading <laughs> while I wanted to talk about it. So go check it out. Link in the description below if you want to go just go ahead. Just type, wait, what is it? Brilliant.org slash MPP to get that 20% discount off your premium subscription. So yeah, just go click the uh, link in the description below and enjoy. Cool. So yeah, so rolling two dice now, right? Did we yeah, get to let's two see. dice? I think, I think we're two. at two dice, are we not? Well, yeah, we're at rolling two dice now. And I want to know, okay, how likely are you to get at least one six? And I'm saying it's less than one six plus one six. Out of four tries. So let's look at two first, but how about four? Or how about, oh, let's look at the strategy that you used for one of these brilliant problems. So one of the questions right. was, if we take a full deck of cards with 52 cards and half of them are red and half of them are black, what's the probability that the top one is the same color as the bottom one? Mm -hmm. So the issue that we had is we were thinking... Oh, and our multiple 50%. choices are... 50%, more than 50%, yeah. less than 50%. Right. So we thought it was exactly 50%. I Because we I, have... Originally, I did not think that. Originally, I thought it was just below 50% because of just logic. Because I said it was half times half. That was wrong. That, that, yeah, that, no, that, that was the that, wrong, that was wrong answer. But I'm saying, like, my idea was, okay, you have a half, like, on, on the top. Like, it can either be red or black, right? So if, let's say, you don't know any of the cards you have a 50% chance of the one on top being either red or black. And now if you're saying all of these cards are independent, then you're like in like independent as in like an observation, like they're all closed. You don't know any of them. Like it's not conditional on anything. Then each of them have a 50% chance of being either red or black. So I said, okay, for the top one and the bottom one, which is a multiplication of probabilities and intersection, you're simply going to multiply the probability that the first one is this is one color and the second one is the same color. So what's the f probability that the first one is red and the last one is red? One and a half times one and a half. That, that was my idea. I mean, it's wrong in hindsight, but I think that, that was would, my original idea. I think that would think be true it. if your deck of cards had an infinite amount of cards in it. Because then, like, whatever's on the top wouldn't really affect what's on the bottom. I guess because it's a finite small number of cards. Like or when if we, we put when the we card broke back. It down, Right. If I flip a card and then I put it back yeah. in the deck and I ask yeah, and I yeah. shuffle and I say, what's the probability mm -hmm. the next one is the same color as the first one? Yeah. Yeah. And then we thought about it a little bit differently, saying that if you if you know that the top card is a certain color, then what are the odds that the other one's the same color? The one on the bottom's the same color. All of a sudden, it becomes like, okay, don't think about red and black, but just think about a color and then how probable how probable is it that you pick the same color so now you, all you have to do is analyze what's left in your deck and they say well if the top one is color a then there are 
51 cards left, 26 of them are not that color. And so 25 of them are. So 25 out of 51 is going to be the probability. Yeah. Yeah. So only just slightly less than a half. Slightly less. But it could less, seem yeah. like it should be a half because, well, there's two choices for the color, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if you play this game a bunch of times, it is pretty close to a half. So it's going to be hard to like experimentally decide that it's not right. one half. Which makes yeah, it a very good gamble. Experimentally, it would game. be nearly impossible if the numbers are so close to it, right? Like you would sometimes get greater or smaller. Like you would almost you would almost approximate it as a half, but be wrong. Sure. And yeah, I can definitely. We see might that. talk about like, yeah, when Bernoulli is first analyzing when um Jacob Jacob Bernoulli, one of the Bernoullis was analyzing oh how many times would you need to play this game to decide if it's equal to one half or not. Um, mm. That is another sort of application of combinatorics into statistics, into things about um, convergence of experimental data to the mean. And all of these numbers of like, hey, if someone says it's 20% uh, likely to snow, plus or minus, or like, with a 95% certainty, how are they deciding on those numbers? Hmm. They are doing a bunch of combinatorics. Hmm. But so let's go back does... to this counting right, one but... of dice. Yeah. So the way that you counted the top card being the same as a bottom card was you said, what if they're different? What if, like, how many ways can it not be the case? and that there's 26 out of 51 that are not the same color. What if you did this with dice? So if you said, how many ways can you not get a six out of four rolls? Can you not out of four rolls? Um, or maybe what's the probability? It, so it would be f 20 over 24. Why is that? Right. Because on every given roll, you have five other choices that would not give you a six. And then you're okay. doing that four times. So you have four times five options that won't give you a six. And the total is just six times four. How did you get this total? I just <laughs> added all or the possibilities. Or maybe let's do it with two dice. Let's say you roll two dice. What are the total number of outcomes? It, as soon as you get a six, you stop, right? Sure. Okay, so then, then there were there would be six. Wait, I don't know anymore. Because <laughs> you can throw the dice either once and get a six, and then the game's over, or you can throw it once, not get a six. So there's a five out of six probability that that happens, and then you have to throw it again, and then you have. A five out of six out. again okay. that you yeah. won't get it. it won't get it but you want to get it right so the question is so you have like a one out of six to so, get it the first so time it'll be one or... out of six to win the first so the so the two options is either you get it on the first one or you don't get it on the first one right and yeah you, like both ways if you want to win the probability to win yeah. so in the case that you have only winning then you would do yeah so then you, you your your first situation would be one over six would be you're winning on the first dice and then you would add this 
probability here, which would simply be five over six times one over six, which is like you lost on the first one and got the second one. But so there would okay, there let's would look also at be case. a subtraction there somewhere, right? Because I'm assuming like if you just keep taking this up, it would at one point get over the limit. So would there not? Because I don't know, you, you, you just got in my head about subtracting everything because you can't just add two things together. So I'm just thinking about if there would be any intersection between these events. And I know that you mentioned that there might be, right? Like when... No, so but you're saying we stop the game. You set up these two. They have no intersection. If you win on the okay. first round or you don't win on the first round and you win on yeah. the second round. Yeah, right. there's no intersection there. But now let's look at the numbers that you got. Because it's not 1 over 6 plus 1 over 6. It was 1 over 6 no, plus 5 over 36. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah 1 over 6 plus 5 yeah, yeah. over 36. 5 over 6 times so it's six. So it's what, 11 over 36? So it's 11 over 36. Then you win so after if we wanna... at most 2. So how many, like, you lose 25 out of 36 times. Yeah. Wait, does this, I forget, does this game that we set up this relates to the derangements does it relate to derangements no it relates I don't to think okay. so because derangement is only like how many possibilities you can not have it in exactly like how many times how many to do with that how many possible ways can you lose this game no but this has nothing to do with but it's it's not like each loss is associated with oh, yeah, like a position true. in the game no, yeah, kind of no, thing. Yeah, you know, like sure. it, that has nothing to do with that. I guess I could relate it to derangements by saying for both of them, we're trying to count the opposite. Like we want to know what's the probability that at least one person gets their coat back. Hmm. But to count that, we so can count what's not, the probability that yeah. no one gets their coat back. So this question of what's the probability we get at least one six when we roll four times, instead we could ask what's the probability we get no sixes after four rolls? Well, in this case, you'd only be counting like one thing, right? You'd be saying, well, the probability that I don't get a six on any given roll is five over six. And then you you multiply that by the amount of rolls that you're doing, right? What do you mean by that? Or you 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 multiply it by itself by the amount of rolls that we're doing. Okay, so you multiply it by itself by the amount of rolls. So Wait, sorry, there's yeah, a five sorry, over six added, chance. added dice here? So there's five over six, and then you say, okay, I do it once. Okay, five over six that I don't. Now, how many, what's the probability if I do it again? It's five over six again. But now, out of the two tries, you're doing 5 over 6 squared. Because you're doing it twice. And then if you do it again, then it's cubed. And then 4, you know? No, but it's not always that because you also have to... Because if you have 3, then you also have to add the fact that you could have, like, you know, lost one lost. No, no, no. As soon as you get a 6, then it's over. You can't roll a 6 and keep going. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you said that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you said that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're all... Yeah, you're right. You're okay, right. so oh, now okay. I go to a calculator and I say, how much is 5 over 6 to the 4? And it tells me uh, it's about 48%. Mm -hmm. So I feel pretty good about this game. I will, like, maybe 51.78% of the time, I will win. So here's where the gambling part gets in. <laughs> this This guy who is loves to gamble, 
he knows this game and he says, okay. Wait, one second, I... one second. Sorry, 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 sorry. We have a slight emergency. Okay. <laughs> Leave this all in. Yeah. <laughs> it would be funny. <laughs> That's funny. You didn't put it on Do Not Disturb, man. Oh. Why did it ring? That's interesting. Okay, wait, we have to set it up. Oh, it's not going to be right. Aye. Sorry. Go on video. No, no, no. Sorry, sorry, give me one sec. Now, just me and the editor. How's it going? <laughs> We're around 49 minutes. For... I don't know why that was ringing. That's, I guess that's okay. Okay. Okay, sorry. Sorry, sorry about you were that. Saying, here's where the gambling comes in. Right, so here's where the gambling comes in. Um... This is a game relatively easy enough to analyze. Now, let's say someone gave you two dice. And they said, I'm going to give you some number of t chances to roll double sixes. If you know, okay, I need about four chances to get a single six. And if I, if I had four chances, I'm more than 50% to get a single six. So they let you have six times as many chances. They say, I'll give you 24 rolls to try to get double sixes. Is this a game that you want to play? Do you think you have a better than 50% chance to win? I think, I think you're going to want to repeat that one time. No, no, I don't. For the audience, for the I think I think you're gonna want to repeat that. No, no, I heard it. it. I heard it. You, it's it's uh like one over tw uh, You have twenty four rolls. You're trying to roll two sixes on any given roll. Yes. I don't think this is a good game. I don't think you want to play this game. Why not? Um. I don't know. Just instinctively, I'm thinking. You have a. One over thirty six chance. To get it on any roll. Mm -hmm. And now you get 24 rolls. You get 24 rolls. All you need to do is do better than half, right? Mm-hmm. Hmm. And your... Hmm. So this gambler's logic is... If I need four rolls on average to get a six... Then six times as many... I should be able to get two sixes. Same probability. I don't think that's right. <laughs> it's definitely not right. And this guy lost no, loads of money not. in this game. But he no, yeah, because got it's... frustrated about losing this money and sent a letter to some mathematician friends, uh, one of them, Blaise Pascal, and said, help me out with this game. I don't understand what's happening. How come I'm losing money? I used to win money in this other game with only rolling mm. one die. And this is my logic. Where's the problem here? Because he's, he's trying to get the sixes at the same time, which is a lot less probable. So how much thinking, less? Like, what do you think the probability is? Okay, we got to work Because it's not impossible. This. Like, you, keep, you try it. You play this game a bunch of times. It's yeah. pretty close to half. 
It's close to half. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, so let's just say the probability that you don't roll two sixes over 24 rolls is going to be is going to be um so it's 5 over 6 that means each time so it's 10 over 12 so wait wait wait, wait, wait. remember there's also going to be a combination here because there can out of these 24 rolls any of them can't have a 6 you know right? so so okay so like the, the probability time, that you don't roll two sixes on any given roll is um 35 over 36 because there's only Wait, two one sixes on any given roll yeah on okay. any given roll it's 35 over 36 because there's only one way to get two sixes mm-hmm. so then it'd be 35 over 36 to the power of 24 that's how many that's the probability that you don't roll two sixes in 24 rolls mm-hmm. so then you do one minus that and that's yeah. the probability that you do so 35 over 36 to the power of anything would be very high so one well, no, because it's be less than one. Low. It's less than one. So you raise it to some power, it gets. Oh, I guess it gets. Oh, yeah, I guess, more. I guess, yeah. So would it be close to 50, is what you said? It's very close to 50. But it's on the other side. So the probability that you lose this game is more than 50%. Hmm. Yeah, because again, like 35, 36, pretty big numbers regardless. So like, I guess you, you'd have it to. It has to be bigger than 0. 0.5, not Yeah, really no, 0. but you'd, you'd have to play this game a lot to realize that it's less favorable yes (laughs) but if you play it like twice then you might win twice in a row and then you're like oh this is easy (laughs) yeah Uh, and this is how like so many that's the beauty las vegas games are set up and like it's just a very small is just Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. we actually did a uh problem relating uh you might have heard of gambler's ruin like a pro like a probability problem with like markov chains where the question yeah, mm-hmm. where basically we were talking about like what is the probability that an individual who is gambling will lose all his money or like, sorry, the question was what is the probability that you get to your fortune? Like, let's say you start with 100, you want to reach a 200. Like, what's the probability that you will reach 200 before you lose all your money, right? And like you can actually calculate it and it's depend on, dependent on the probability of winning each and every game, right? So in this case, we have like 35 over 36 or whatever, or one minus 35 over 36. It also matters how much you're gambling, though, Also, yes, of course, because, I mean, well, technically not really, because you can just divide it up. So the way that the gambler's ruin problem works... relative to No, because the the way the gambler's ruin works, it works with adding and subtracting $1. So the idea is it's kind of similar to like a roulette idea, like you're betting on something, you have a probability of winning, of losing. And the question is, okay, I want to get to this much. What's the probability that I can win? And we actually did kind of a study and like turns out like if you actually sub in a lot of these real metrics for a lot of these systems, like for a lot of these casino games, like the probability of, 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 of winning is like literally a smidgen under, under 50. Like a lot of these games, like we calculated for one was like 0.48, but even with a probability like 0.47, if you have like large numbers that you're trying to bet, like we actually did a whole study on it and the probability that you win is actually very, 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 very tiny because that's just how they work, right? When the probability is just a smidgen under under 50%, in the long term, you lose your money. Mm-hmm. So that's just, that's just how they win. So what you're saying in this is 
even like if we have a game where it's very close to 50-50, but what we want to do is play this game over and over again, and we have a goal of where we're trying to hit, and we also have like a zero where we have to stop playing if we run out of mm -hmm. money, we are much more likely to hit zero than to hit that goal. Well, then, the question of gambler's ruin is what is the probability that you reach your goal before zero? So that's the whole question of it. And that depends on the probability, right? So like there's a pretty high chance that you won't reach it. Like if, if your probability is 50%, there's a certain formula. It's like kind of like a piecewise function. And if your probability is exactly 50%, there's so much chance that you win dependent on what you start with, depending on what you're betting. And if your probability is not 50%, there's this whole complicated thing you plug it into that basically tells you where, depending mm -hmm. on what direction your probability is in, if you're going to win or lose or what direction you're going to get into, right? So this is related to um, a concept of a random walk. Yeah, simple random is walk saying, is how we started this whole When you play chapter. a game, you either go up or you go down with certain probabilities. And we want to mm -hmm. know if you kind of pick those at random ups and downs What's the probability you get to a certain height before you have fallen a certain mm -hmm. amount? Exactly. So uh, like the idea is very simple. The idea is like super simple. Like it's super understandable, which is why I really like like this very intuitive idea. And you can just count it, right? So <laughs> sure. Like in simple. So cases. a key part is that you can count it. Yeah. yeah. And then we have a lot of nice for methods for counting. This big complicated formula that you talked about, um, I'm certain, comes from combinatorics and counting oh, it's super easy to derive i'm not saying it's a hard formula it's just like a bunch of like complicated things because it just has a lot of these variables in it but it's a super easy formula to derive it's very easily seen that oh we get this because of this like it makes a lot of sense kind of thing you know and it, it, it's all just a very basic probability question like the, the gambler's ruin so like it's it's just something interesting because we were talking about gambling I just, I, just, I just thought of like a random walk can represent a gambler's mindset almost. Right? If you think about it. Is a, is a random walk only like random when it's a 50% chance of going up or down? Or if it's, if it's less than 50% chance, then it's not really... The point, right? The probability it's more like skewed to one direction. So right? the so random walk is where the probability is the same in all of the situations. The simple random walk is just when you're going up and down by one. And interestingly enough, any random walk can be converted to a simple random walk just by dividing it by the length of the walk, by the, like the length of the chain. So like if, let's say, every step is like five, then you can just divide everything by five and you make it a simple random walk. Hmm. And then like the like a little more complicated version of this, which is what we were learning in statistics recently, was like Markov chains, where it's like instead of having this like the same probability throughout the walk, every step has a different probability. So let's say you're at a hundred dollars, maybe you think a little bit differently than when you're at fifty dollars. Hmm. Or you can play a different idea. game. Or you can play a different game, right? Mm. Or you can play a different game. Like, oh, once you reach 150, you're going to start this one that has a different probability. And once you reach 300, you're going to go to this one. If you come back down to 150, you might try this one, the, the first one again. So, like, it might be like a, like a chain like that, hence the name, which is why. Like, which is something that we're learning, and I just feel like it's really, really related, especially to what we're talking about right now. Mm. Markup chains. Yeah. So, how are... How are um, random walks related to like just combinatorics 
Uh, so we do a lot of fun things about counting, I guess, how many different ways are there to do blank, to, to like walk. Um, one way I might think of it is um, if you are like standing on the edge of a cliff and you do some random thing that lets you pick a probability to move forward or backward one step, what's the likelihood that you will end up exactly back where you started after some number of steps? And you probably want an mm -hmm. even number of steps. Um, but this is also a model of, let's say you make a little diagram where you only go up or down and you never want to go below where you started. You might consider these like you're drawing different mountain ranges mm -hmm. that you can go up twice and then down twice and you make a big mountain or you can go up twice, down once, up again, down twice. How many different ways can you draw these diagrams? Oh, <laughs> it's just funny because like we actually were doing this problem in class. Like, a right. couple, like but when we were learning Markov chains, this is literally what we were doing. Like this is called uh, the return probability of a state. So um, the, the return probability of any state is given by some formula. And like you can calculate this probability given by the transient probability. So like what's the probability to move from state one to two? What's the, like, let's say you've been given this probability matrix is what it's called, where like you have the probabilities to move from each state. And the question is, what's the probability that you will return back to this state in n steps in whatever, right? So there are literal ways that we use to derive to calculate ways to get back to these end steps. Is, is that kind of, is that kind of on yes, the line of what absolutely. you're talking about? Okay. okay it is okay. exactly this. So I mean, like, it are is you, sort of also, like, are you familiar with the whole Markov chain thing? Like, is that, is that particularly involved in combinatorics as well? Or is it mainly a, I guess the uh, combinatorics yes. is statistics, but is it a, it is. Yes. Okay. So a Markov chain for listeners is saying, what if the probability depended on the current state, but not mm -hmm. on previous um, states? Meaning, it's sort of like if you have a um, a coin flip or maybe like drawing cards, you know the probability of getting an ace on the first draw. And then after you've drawn some number of cards, the probability will be different, right? If I don't get an ace, it goes up every time I draw something that's not an ace. Mm -hmm. So now my probability in these remaining cards is going to be higher. Um, but a it doesn't really actually nice matter. Example that uh, we actually did in class to understand Markov chains was, I think, I think I told you about this, Parker. I think mm -hmm. we were talking about it the other day, the frog on a lily pad. This was, this, this was a really cool, basic, basic understanding for basic Markov chains where let's say, a, let's say there are 20 lily pads around in a circle and a frog starts on one of these lily pads, right? The frog can either stay in his place with a one third probability go right with a one-third probability or go left with a one-third probability, right? So he can basically just hop from these, from these lily pads. So the question is, the question you can make any question, what's the probability that he'll reach pad number N in K steps is the general question. And in, in this case, you can think about it as, well, in this case, the frog only has one-third each time. And a beautiful property about Markov chains, as you were talking about the fact that it doesn't need to remember what it was in the past and that's like the like that's actually called a markov property where it does not depend on the previous states that it was in so if let's say the frog is on lily pad number 18 
it doesn't matter when what it was doing, what the probability at lily pad number five, like that, like it can only go to 17 or 16 anyways. And even if it could, could go to five, it doesn't matter what it was doing when it was at five. It only matters what it's doing when it's at 18, right? So like that's kind of like a simple understanding, which, which is kind of like how, how our teacher did it. I don't know if you want to. Absolutely. I mean, I think of the Markov property that. Yeah. as saying, yeah. we don't care where you came from. We just care where you're at right now. Mm-hmm. Nice way to put it. Basically summarizing it. Yeah, so how does that have like direct implications? I'm just thinking now because I know that we've gone through a lot of examples in class, but I just want to hear, especially like you actually, you know, being in a real world statistician or in, in a sense statistician, mathematician. I, I would not call myself involved, a statistician. Not in, okay, sorry. In, who likes numbers? Who likes numbers? How would you say, you know, stuff like these chains and these walks, because we're talking about them, uh, would actually implement in like a real world statistics problem or like a real world problem, co combinatory, like a, just a problem? Uh, so an issue that we come up with a lot is that there will be sort of numerically way too many inputs or like the matrix that we might use might be very big. And if we need to count over a lot of different discrete steps that we would need to take a huge power of this matrix. Um, so this happens in like weather modeling. Like if you are thinking about how do different particles interact and we want to make a Markov chain that tells us, is it going to rain tomorrow? Then we need a lot of different, very small discrete steps and we need a lot of inputs uh, and sort of naively trying to compute some probabilities with this means doing an enormous amount of calculations. So what we try to do is reduce the number of calculations. And one way of doing this is looking at like more general properties. What happens in some kind of game state or what happens in some smaller cases? Can we, can we um, figure out a rule that will always work? that will give us some accurate measure and does not depend on doing a huge amount of calculations. Hmm. So this is where combinatorics comes in. It says, but okay, we see this fun problem. Let's try to solve it in general and then apply what we figured out. Doesn't that like, if you try to reduce the problem, doesn't that make your prediction less accurate when you apply it to not the necessarily. actual? Oh. Uh, so a nice thing that we do with Markov chains is ask about eigenvalues of this matrix and that they are telling us something and we know based on, okay, there's, there must be 100% probability in total that something happens, that you go somewhere. Mm -hmm. So we know already certain, um, like a vector of all ones has a total sum that is the sum of all the probabilities of going somewhere, which is again one. So we can find certain properties of the matrix that must always happen and then use mm -hmm. those to reduce how many calculations we need to do. Well, the fundamental properties that all the, the columns, I, I apologize, the rows must add up to one because of simply how it's defined, right? Because if you're at any given state, you have to do something. 
you either stay at that state right. or you go somewhere, but you have to do something. And that total probability has to equal one in some way. Yeah. And interestingly enough, oh, we, oh man, I can, I can talk about this for ages because we're literally learning this right now. Like, it's so cool that we're talking about this because like we were talking about like, you know, limiting probabilities and how, what, like, for example, if let's say you start from any state, what's the probability that in 500,000 steps you will reach this state? So Ray, cool I think thing is, should... it doesn't even matter what state you start. Sorry. You should have a new episode for talking about Markov chains and Markov I think I mean processing. Markov chains is definitely it's it's definitely a statistics only topic, so it's a, it would only be me talking. I can I can tell you that. I don't know. I think because... you can put a lot of physical interpretation into these things, right? If you want to think mm. about how do different particles interact, or what will happen to some electron that you shoot into um, a metal, it does it moves around, it hits different things, and stuff happens to it based on what state it's in and not necessarily what mm. had previously happened to it. Exactly. Exactly. So there are certainly mm. physical interpretations of Markov processes. Mm. But that yeah, is probably a whole episode on its own. Were we doing like in, in, in thermo? Like, wasn't that something to do with Markov property? In like thermo? No. Was, did, no. I swear I heard the word Markov somewhere not in statistics no i don't remember doing any of that <laughs> never mind because i know random walks occurred right in, in yeah. thermal, we were doing random yeah. walks very important right. like every wait remind me again it was like the what follows a simple random walk i, I forget exactly what it was in thermodynamics yeah. i don't remember but i think we were, we were talking about like gas molecules and depending on their like thermal energy mm. right they'll like the step will mm. be larger mm -hmm. something like that we were doing and so there's like some distribution based on the temperature of the gas that'll tell you like okay the the um the distribution of the velocities of the gases will depend on the temperature right a maxwell right that was maxwell that was that was a, a maxwell boltzmann distribution maxwell -Boltzmann distribution it's a little bit of physics knowledge there mm -hmm. and um like something I guess that we can talk about is um, in terms of counting things. Um, I, I know like previously we've spoken about macro states and micro states. Um, and I guess I can give a little because we, we talked about we had an episode on thermodynamics. So I guess I can mm -hmm. just give a little a little uh, explanation on those. Go for it. So like a macro state is essentially just the general property of the state and then the micro state is how many ways can you implement this general property so for example um, in terms of gas particles you can say the macro state of this gas particle is the length of its momentum vector and then how many ways can a gas particle have this length of, it, of the momentum vector is basically all of the directions it can point in and so um, to get this uh, multiplicity essentially the probability that um, you're pointing in some direction what we would do is we would divide by the area of the sphere that this momentum vector creates in in the momentum space. I will explain this though. <laughs> I will so explain you're sort this of in, saying we want to know 
Okay, for a fixed length, we can think about all the different directions that this might point in. And mm -hmm. that builds a sphere for us. Exactly. And then if we take a little subset of that sphere of like, okay, if this is like hitting in the dartboard. What yeah. is the probability that it lands in a certain range of directions? Exactly. And we want to compare the area of that range of directions to the total area of the sphere. Yeah. So essentially we're, we're trying to count the amount of ways you can, a particle can have that amount, that scalar amount of momentum. And so as the momentum grows, the area of that sphere grows as well. And so there are more ways that you can have this state. So yeah, that's how like, that's one way that we were implementing combinatorics in our thermodynamics class. That's interesting. Does that, I feel like, I feel like it kind of doesn't make sense though, because like it makes sense intuitively because it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're doing this like ratio of area. But at the same time, like these discrete vectors, like you're pointing in some direction, but a vector does, doesn't actually have, like the tip of a vector doesn't have an actual size. And so we're comparing the area of this sphere to something that has area zero. And so I, I guess, I, what's your interpretation of that? Zach? So you're saying like the probability that we have a given um, direction is zero for any fixed yeah. direction. Yeah. But we're measuring the probability that we land in a certain range of direction. Yeah, that would make sense. And that somehow like adding up all of these individual probabilities that are zero and we get something that's non-zero is not intuitive. Mm -hmm. I agree. It's, it's weird. Yeah. So the way I, I actually just remembered this, the way that we implemented this into like problems is because entropy is defined as Boltzmann's constant times the log of the multiplicity of a certain state. And so calculating the amount of microstates is the multiplicity of the macro state. And so we'd have this formula for the area of this momentum sphere, plug that into this to calculate the entropy. And then the entropy of a state can be related to, you know, it's energy, the temperature, a whole bunch of partial derivatives can give you a whole bunch of other information. This, I don't know anything about this. Right, right, yeah. But I'm just saying, like, this whole, like, counting thing where we're counting these these microstates even though it's, like, this continuous spectrum where we figured out a way to, to count how many possible ways. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is common, right? To kind of, to um, make a problem discrete that instead of saying, okay, there's all of these infinitely many different ways that something can happen, we say, well, what if there was just like a finite number? What if we just make very small boxes and we ask, how many times does it fall into each one of these boxes? So we can think about like the total angles. Well, let's just chop up the sphere into really small boxes and ask, what's the probability that lands in one of these boxes? 
And now we have a finite question. And then we can do different finite counting related things. Um, a big Which benefit. I think of, how she explained it too, right? Like we brought it down to like a simple finite thing and then generalized it. No, I don't remember that. No, I'm just tripping. Okay, never mind. I don't know. <laughs> never mind. Never mind. Because I swear, because I think that's how most classes take the idea of like really complicated combinatorics, right? Like when you have these really large numbers, they usually try to generalize it to something like as you were doing right now, Zach, you know, we were, we were saying, okay, let's take two cards instead of 52, right? So like, you know, common stuff like that, which is what I thought she did, but I might be mistaken. Mm -hmm. So like, I was just wondering, what else do you do in a combinatorics class other than like counting how many ways you can do something? So one of the, one of the big things that we do that sometimes a surprise is count the same thing twice. Why? Uh, the why is that it tells us about these two different ways of counting. So we did one already, right? Which was we can count how many ways can people get their coats back? How many ways can at least one person get their coat back by counting how many ways can nobody get their coat back? And we find that, well, one of them is easier to count. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, here's a different example. Let's say you want to count, oh, in, in like a high school discrete math class, you probably see things with combinations and permutations. And you might have seen um, a combination, so something like, five choose two tells you how many ways can you choose two different elements from a set of five elements. So if I have like five cards, then there will be 10 ways that I can pick any two of them where mm -hmm. I don't care about the order of those two. I just want to get two cards. Mm -hmm. uh, that's five choose two. And if you want like algebraically, this is, Five options for the first one times four for the second one, and then divided by two because there's two ways that I can move them around. Mm -hmm. If I want to count all of the subsets, so I say I want any subset at all, I can say there's like five choose one ways to get just one. There's five choose two ways to get two. There's five choose three ways to get three. I should have picked three. All the way up to five choose five. And I've missed, okay, there's five to zero ways to get no cards. Mm -hmm. So altogether, I know that um, there's five to zero, that's one, plus five to one, plus five to two, plus five to three, plus five to four, plus five to five. That is somehow counting all of the different ways to pick any number of cards out of five. So somehow, this is some number. If I yeah. add it up, what is it? It's like 1 plus 5 plus 10 plus 10 plus 5 plus 1. So it's 16 times 2. It's 32. Is it not an identity? Like the sum of n? Right. Sorry, so why like, is yeah, this an identity? Yeah, like... Wait, explain like, that. Like, like the sum of these numbers k, is k 2 from... to the 5. If I did uh, this with six yeah, cards, that's what, I'm that's what I'm saying. There's definitely an identity. If I add up six two zero plus six two one all the way up to six two six, this is literally how it's defined, man. Two to the power of, you know, because you're 
Isn't that the whole thing? Like, you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, how you count the different number of things is 2 to the n minus 1. So why? Don't you remember that? To the no, so uh, the first thing I thought of was Pascal's triangle because I remember doing, like, something, choose something. You just, like, go down a certain amount of rows and then go into a certain amount of elements. Um, but I don't know why. Like, I guess Pascal's triangle has to do with, like, binomial theorem and so sure. two to the power of something must have something to do with this whole okay so let me count this for you a different way yeah let me say i want to pick a subset of cards and the way that i'm going to do it is for each card i'll decide if i want it or not it's either in the subset or it's not in the subset so you pick a certain amount of cards and you say or you pick well, for one each card, card from I a say, certain amount. Is it in or not? And okay. if I do that for every card, I get two choices each time. Hmm. So the total number of ways I can do this is two to the n. Right. Or I could say, let me first decide how big of a set I want. And then choose that many. And that will be like n choose k, but I need to add up for every value of k. Hmm. Both of those but things the... count the same thing. But wait, it, it, wasn't it 2 to the n minus 1, though? Wasn't that like the... I swear that's where I'm remembering my formula, though, from. Hmm. Like, wasn't there I something like memory? 2 to the n minus 1? Where it was um, like the, well, the we can test it out, right? You can always test it out with a small number. So let's take like n equals two. Um, if there's two cards, how many ways can I get any number of them? So you can get, there are two ways to get one of them and one way to get two of them. And one way to get none of them. Oh, we're counting the zero? Yeah, of course. Oh yeah, of course. Okay, so you add one to everything. Yeah. So there's four ways. So it wouldn't, it's not three. So there are if you four wanted, ways. Yeah, so you can two have to two to the n altogether minus one to get rid of this way of counting zero things. But we find it really useful in combinatorics to be allowed to have zero of something. Wait, anyway. doesn't that relate to prime numbers, two to the n minus one? Or am I thinking Ooh. of the wrong thing? Well, there's a big question. Oh, yeah, the question, question is, like, is 2 to the n minus, yeah, that weighs one prime. That, that's the, that, that was a big question. Can we get right? a bunch of primes that look like that? The reason that we yeah. are interested in that is that we have a nice test to decide if those numbers are prime or not. So those happen to be like the largest primes that we know just because we have a really good way to check oh, if yeah. they're prime or not. Also, I was thinking 2 to the n minus 1 because you usually don't count the 0. Because mm. usually, uh -huh. like at least, in, at least in this situation, like you're not counting the ways to get none of them because you're, you're counting the sum of all possible combinations to get cards. Right. So mm -hmm. that's okay. Maybe that's why my brain was going there. Cause I, re cause that's I remember, fine. I mean, I it's the same formula you, somewhere. You remember yeah, the, the same, same thing. thing is just, cause I'm like, it's just a one that's differing. And I'm like, the only thing that's a one is just choose zero. So I'm like, maybe that's just not it. Yeah. I think that's just, that's just the added thing there. Um, so this is, this is a way of proving this identity that we can say, let's count. How many ways are there to get some number of cards from 0 to n? And we count it in two different ways. 
we can count by saying, okay, each card I'm going to decide if it's in the deck or not, or in the, in the set or not. Or I could say, let's pick some number of cards, and I'll count all the ways to get that number. So this oh. is what we would call a combinatorial bijective proof. We're saying these two things are equal because they both count the same thing. Hmm. And then we have loads of fun doing this. That's interesting. So you, what you do with this information is like you set up one problem that it seems like you should be doing it one way, but then you say, no, I can count it the exact same way, but using a different method. And then you do it that, and it's supposedly easier. Absolutely. Not even necessarily easier, but it gives us oh. a different way to think about it. Yeah, yeah, different way. I don't think it will be easier. Well, the reason why you would do it. I the mean, reason, you can yeah. do both ways. One though, thing right? is going to be easier yeah. depending one thing on the situation. Thing. One thing is going to be easier. The mm -hmm. other one's going to be harder. So you can choose to do that one too. So wait, the reason why the sum of like of n choose k for like over all of the k's, I think, the sum is equal to 2 to the n is because for each like there are n situations where you like say oh yes this is in the set or no this is not in the set but why are there n why are there n amount of decisions to be made so there's n objects but that would only be going through them once right because aren't you mm -hmm. picking you're picking like you say, I want to pick out four cards. Then you would be doing it however many times. And then you say, now I want five cards. And you'd be doing it again. So let's say but I just have a set. I don't know how big it is. Yeah. I know some things are in it and some things are not. So if I went through the deck one time and I said, oh, in I get it, it not in it, then I exactly <laughs> okay. get that set. Right, 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 right. Okay. Um, yeah. Another way that people think about it is in terms of binary strings. That if you write a string of zeros and ones, and the zeros indicate, like, don't include this element, and the ones indicate do include this element, then the total number of strings that you can get is two to the n. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, the reason that I understood it is um, because... Every one given string that you get will be a part of some, like, I don't know the terms. Like when you do, when you do like, uh, like five choose two, the amount, like you're choosing two. A subset of like, size two. Sure. So that, that subset of size two, or let's say size K will show up on any given trial where you're doing like two to the, two to the N one specific string will automatically be a part of some k size subset because that's just you know you have n amount of objects and so if you're doing every single card then yeah absolutely so a big thing that we do is things like this where we try to count one thing two ways in order to give a different perspective or like give an identity between two different sums that seem unrelated hmm so is this a math class? Because I, I, I don't think it's a stats class, right? It is a math class. It's a math class. Interesting. Mm. So, because I swear there's a statistics combinatorics as well. 
Is there not? Am I mistaken? Or are you not? Uh, I'm not in the stats the department. department. I yeah, don't yeah, know yeah, what yeah. courses yeah, they yeah, do. Yeah. Yeah. I just know the course that I teach. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. And if you want, the textbook that we use is free and open source, and I think is really Ooh. nice. Um, it's called Applied Combinatorics, and it's by Keller and Trotter. Um, so you can find it at. Maybe I should have looked up the name of we'll, this thing. We'll find the link. We'll put it in the but, description. Great. We'll remember. That's a really cool. Oh, we have to remember. We'll remember. Wait we'll one remember. second. We have to put something else in the description too. <laughs> yeah, it was your fifty-two factorial. Fifty-two factorial, baby. Fifty-two factorial. Write it down. We'll remember. I'm writing it down <laughs> right now at this moment. Yeah. So yeah, if uh, anybody who's listening wants to go and learn from this open source textbook, which I love, just I love getting all these open source textbooks because whenever like I have a question for myself. Mm. I'll literally just go and look through and be like, oh, there's a whole chapter about this. Mm -hmm. <laughs> textbook, so. Like there are a lot of things available online. <laughs> yeah. There are yeah. a lot of things available on the internet. I know a lot of, a lot of U of T like material is open source and just online. Cause I mean, I don't think people have anything against education, man. Like uh, learn the material, you know, like yeah. learn it all you want. I mean, as we said, I think in the last episode itself, literally you show up to Toronto, just hop in, to one of the yeah, that's to one true. of the lectures and you can just sit down <laughs> i don't know like do i guess you would know zach <laughs> if if you have a class and there's like 150 people in the class you won't notice if there's just somebody that shows up how would you even just, know that it's not u of t someone can just bring a bag yeah, no, and you can just look like no a what kid. i'm saying is like if some random person off the street just comes into the class and sits down like they can just I mean, during COVID, people who are not university students can't no, come yeah. to campus. No, for sure, for sure. But I mean, like, without COVID, yeah, this is people like can just like show up because all the doors are open, right? Like to every class. The point say. is that education is free. That, yeah. the, that's the point. Well, I mean, education is actual, not free. This is a big problem. Well, I, um, what, no, what I mean is like the actual act of learning can be free. The act of education i guess yes you're right of course not free because you need that degree which is obviously very i mean expensive. you don't need the degree you can learn without well you're getting right the degree. yeah i guess um, i guess i guess you don't really but what i'm trying to say certification. is to learn isn't necessary it, mm -hmm. but it's not necessarily you don't necessarily have to put a price to it it's just what everybody is doing like everybody goes so, to university because that's the thing to do but i think there are better ways to learn material and not necessarily be in a university i don't know there are other ways if someone emailed me and said, I would like to audit your class, which means they don't officially enroll, but they do attend and maybe they do some problem sets, they solve some of the problems, they interact in certain ways, I would say, of course, you can absolutely audit this class. Um, and would, 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 would there be a financial obligation to no. that individual? You're, you're not saying there would be no money involved. It rare, like, it generally happens where people are in advanced degrees. They have like, they're doing a master's in statistics and they might say, oh, I didn't get this background information in combinatorics. Oh, I, I actually need course. to do this. Yeah, I actually need to do but this. But that it's not something potential. that they can get credit yeah. for because it's maybe an undergraduate mm. course or because they're not allowed to enroll in courses outside of their department. Mm -hmm. um, but I think mostly people would say, yeah, of course, of course you can come. There That's are amazing. definitely restrictions if there's something like a relatively small class where you can't actually fit more people in. Of course. Um, but certainly, and I mean, 
I try my best to make more things more open, but I know that that's not universal and is very much um, a lot of pressure from academic publishers to use their expensive textbooks. Uh, they sent mm. me a couple when they found out that I was teaching this course on combinatorics. Um, How did they them, find out? One yeah, of them, that's pretty creepy. Oh, because it's publicly listed, right? You can, you can uh, learn. Damn. Taking so, there are actually people are looking yeah. for, oh, who's the next so, professor oh, wow. for this they course? They just mailed us these two new textbooks that cost, um, I think one of them 80 and one of them $140 and said, wow. oh, were you interested in having your students use these books? And I think the books are really nice, but I'm not interested in having these expenses. Mm-hmm. So like there is a lot of pressure. Grand for school. How much um, more do you want? Yeah. Nine is even low. Our international no, guess... students pay much more. Okay, yeah, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> no, but mm-hmm. I'm saying, shouldn't there be, in my opinion, especially with like a textbook company, I think there should be like some kind of relationship with a school where they're like, we're going to give these to you. For, I mean, obviously, like, the school would pay them from the tuition, but, like, they wouldn't get money. Like, you wouldn't have to pay f- per book is what Absolutely. I'm trying to say. So, like, that I would, would love that this would be happening. I don't happening. know why that isn't a thing. And especially would be happening with different ed tech-related things. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe you are mm-hmm. using something like Top Hat or other um, software where the oh, students like have to individually pay like Wiley yeah. plus exactly is this yeah. kind yeah, we literally of a scam. Had to pay for that and, and we couldn't not yeah. pay for it literally because it was literally our a requirement sets, our problem sets were done over Wiley and so if you didn't buy it you couldn't get a grade so it was literally like $75 yeah. times like how many of our kids were in the first yeah. year of physics program like right. how much they made so just for because we just had to or we're just this is an enormous anymore. industry right of like exploiting mm-hmm. students who have no other choice but to pay mm-hmm. for this thing. Um, and that is where textbook publishing, academic publishing, a lot of ed tech related things know that they have this captive audience that students have, um, uh, like they are required by the universities to do, to buy the textbooks or to pay for Wiley Plus or whatever it is and that they will do it. Um, and that means that the prices are exorbitant, that the university literally does not care what the costs are because the students will pay it. Yeah, this university and doesn't this have is to a, do anything. this an exploitation that I want no part of. So I make it so that all of our courses are freely accessible. Having paid the tuition, that should be all that you need to pay. Mm-hmm. But that's not universal. That's, nice. that's not a thing that is um, required I mean, it's not, a, it's definitely not required, but it's not a thing that people are doing. So I really support this like movement towards more open educational resources. Mm-hmm. Especially because some like some of the top universities in the world are posting lectures and materials on YouTube and just mm-hmm. online. MIT Open Courseware is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Even Stanford has, uh, has your, your Leonard, what's his last name? Uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, I the know. old guy who teaches quantum mechanics. <laughs> or sorry, general no, relativity. Teaches, general relativity. He teaches all. He well, he te- but he's mainly in relativity. He he has a lot of stuff in relativity, and like there are so many courses available online. Oh my phone. So if you have some so many suggestions of nice yeah. ones that people can use to learn more, um, please share them in this episode description or in the comments. Oh, 100%. for sure. I mean, let us know. We love to watch this stuff. I think one person actually sent us an email. 
again, we will respond. We actually saw some of them, but we just forget to respond sometimes. Just a lot of stuff. But like we do check them out. So like if you see see if you see anything cool, shoot it our way. We're always always very happy to awesome. indulge in those. Well, Zach, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast again. Uh, we had a great Welcome. time talking about, about counting things. <laughs> and uh, mm. Counting things, I think, is a very, very nice way to put what we spoke about today. Basically, <laughs> we just counted different ways of thinking about things, which I really liked. And you, you have know, a couple so of many puzzles ways to you can think, think about, about the same problem. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm going to search up that uh, derangement, derangement problem. Yeah. Mm. There's literally a brilliant yeah. thing on it. So, like, if you literally just want to go for the content mm. and do some practice problems, we can do that, too. Well, awesome. Is there um, anything else we want to mention before we wrap up today's episode? I think that's everything. I think that's everything. Okay beautiful perfect so yeah thank you so much to everybody for listening make sure to follow us on spotify youtube or anywhere else you're listening to this uh yeah this has been episode number 91 of the math and physics podcast i'm your host parker and i'm ray and we will see you soon bye guys